Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. See you on the other side podcast episode 231 join you the second week of january uh my name is mike and i play in the band sunspot with this is wendy also from the band sunspot and and this is scott marcus not from the band sunspot but i run <laughs> what's your ghost story.com and we're bringing back one of our favorite guests a UFO author who's written the brilliant Silver Screen Saucers and also edited uh, the multifaceted book UFOs Reframing the Deba- Debate all the way from the UK, Mr. Robbie Graham. Hey, guys. Welcome. Hey, good to be with you again. Fantastic. Now, Robbie, before we get into any of the stuff here, you were just on Ancient Aliens. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I was on the um, – I'd forgotten I'd even filmed it. Um, they asked me to be on it uh, last year, and, I, and they filmed me in, uh, in London – and um, and yeah, I just forgot all about it. And then someone just messaged me the other day saying, well, I've just seen you on TV. And I thought, okay. So, so yeah, it's um, <laughs> in the, uh, the latest episode, which is about uh, Eric Von Daniken, the two-hour special. So that was pretty cool. And so, like, uh, do you like do you remember what you particularly talked about? Or did they just say to you, like, obviously with Ancient Aliens, that Giorgio's in yeah. the room with you, like tickling answers out of you. <laughs> like, what is he... You know, uh, like how did that process go? Um, the producer came and then asked you what? Yeah, uh, Giorgio wasn't there, sadly. Um, uh, it was so they contacted a producer contacted me from I think Prometheus Entertainment, which is the people who produce it, and they just uh, you know they described the content of the episode and they wanted some input on the influence of Eric von Daniken on Hollywood over the years, and so they contacted me for that and they wanted me to speak generally about Hollywood and the impact of Hollywood and. And, um, and so, so you just gave him a copy of Stargate or something like that. You're like, here you go. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they wanted me to talk about Stargate. I talked about Stargate. I talked about anything, any kind of Hollywood product that Eric Von Daniken has influenced over the years. And, um, they, it was an, I find it an interesting process because you sort of get to learn a little bit about how the show is made. And of course it's remained over the past decade or so, one of the most popular, or if not the most popular UFO themed, um, Factual, and I use the term factual lightly. Um, pro- program <laughs> about so uh, it was interesting to see how it was made, but uh, you know, and um, uh, yeah, so they, they hired out a very expensive millionaire's townhouse in London, and um, oh, wow. they filmed it. They filmed me in there, and um, uh, it took it. They filmed me for about oh, several hours, five hours maybe, and. Um, out of that you know there's probably about 60 seconds on screen um but <laughs> but it's um it was interesting and they, how they do it because of course the show is such a beast now like it's so, it's so, such a big a big show um they it was micro directed from los angeles so they've got a director in london shooting me with a crew with a small crew in this house and they were ha- they were linked in real time to directors in los angeles who were directing them and they were really specific about how they wanted the room to be set up, how they wanted the shots to be framed, what everyone should be wearing, et cetera, et cetera, and how the lighting should be. And that was all being micro directed from Los Angeles through to London. And it just took forever to even set up a shot. Um, so it was interesting. And uh, Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was interesting and a pretty cool, pretty cool thing to do. 
Well, I think it's really this, the fact that they're able to direct something from, you know, 4,000 miles away, blow, you know, that blows my mind that in real time, the guy's like, okay, let's check the right. lighting. You know, let's look at the shot. They, they rent the millionaire's townhouse to make it look like you probably have an elaborate study yeah. or something like yeah. that. Well, it was sort of a study. I was in an actual study. Uh, there, there was an actual study in the, in the house. So, so that's so cool. That's where they put me, yeah. <laughs> Did they give you the smoking jacket and pipe too to go with it? Sadly not, but I bought my own waistcoat, so it's all right. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Fantastic. So what we're talking about this week, um, we got some huge UFO news this week. So I think maybe we kick it off a little bit with uh, a revelation uh, that j- just came out. Not in the usual uh, crackpot magazines and websites that I go to, um, but rollcall.com which is a Washington, D.C. political website. And they came out that former Nevada Senator Harry Reid, if you guys remember him, he was part of the, uh, like the, he was the old Senate minority leader. Yeah. <laughs> they used to show him on the news all the time. Um, he's coming back to Washington to push for more UFO research. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's very interesting. And um, of course, Harry Reid, Came to uh, came to the UFO community attention last, no, in, in the end of 2017 when um, the New York Times broke the story about the Pentagon UFO project, um, and because uh, of course Harry Reid was involved in, in backing that project, and um, so but this is the first time since then that he's sort of spoken um, in such a direct way about uh, his his views on, on on UFOs or UAPs as the uh, as the uh, Pentagon calls them. So it's interesting, and I think. Uh, we may see, I mean, well, Luis uh, Elizondo, the guy who ran the Pentagon Project, has suggested that 2019 will see more revelations, more information coming forth um, regarding that Pentagon UFO project. So interesting times ahead, I think. Yeah. So Harry comes out and like his direct quote, he's like, I'm going to have a call with a member of the Senate in an hour or two where people in the military who want to come and tell somebody what they've seen. What we found in the past is that these pilots, when they see something strange like this, they're prone not to report it for fear that the bosses will think something's wrong with them and they don't get the promotion. So many, many times, they don't say a word to anybody about these strange things. The facts are they need a place to be able to report this, and that's what I'm going to work on in a couple of hours to make sure that somebody I think is a powerful member of Congress, I want them to be able to sit down and talk to some of the pilots who have seen these things. Yeah. He said, and uh, I quote, I personally don't know if there exists little green men other places. I kind of doubt that. But I do believe the information we have indicates that we should do a lot more uh, study. Uh, he says we have hundreds and hundreds of people who say that they've seen the same thing, something in the sky that moves a certain way. But here's my favorite line of the whole thing. Oh, sure. I've been to Area 51. I know Area 51. I don't know if I should say many times, but lots and lots of times. I know Area 51 quite well. I know what they've done there. Oh, I don't know, in recent years, of course, but I know what went on there. And like, that's when the interview stops. The guy's like, the guy's not like, what's going on in Area 51? That's when the the signal got lost all of a sudden. They couldn't continue. The microphone stopped working. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I know Area 51. It's, you know, whatever. (laughs) Whatever. Bob Lazar has been telling us they've been reverse engineering alien technology since the 1970s. Harry. (laughs) 
So uh, that was like an exciting, like it's it's a slow news week, obviously, in Washington, because the last thing they usually talk about is UFOs or whatever. Um, they're like, well, government shut down. What's Harry Reid doing? Yeah, well, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it is because it's a slow news week. Maybe that is the reason. Um, and um, But yeah, it's just one of um, several stories that have, have come out in the last few days and week or so um, that relate to UFOs and uh, alien life, uh, potential alien life. Of course, from the um, science community, we have repeating radio signals received by the Arecibo Observatory, um, which is you know bringing the question of are we alone to the fore again, and um, and a whole bunch of other stories as well, which I suppose we can get into. Well, something I was thinking real quick is that the fast burst radio signals that you know were just received this week, because I think about when I when I go through my Facebook feed. Now, obviously, we probably all share a bunch of mutual friends who are all into. Aliens, UFOs, ghosts. Yeah. I mean, I can't. I'd say before I before I was into like paranormal podcasting or whatever, the number of psychic mediums in my Facebook yeah. friends list were zero. <laughs> and today there's like forty. And I'm sitting there going, we got to get like a psychic brain trust together <laughs> to do some to, to try to predict the lottery or something. It's <laughs> a good idea. But this week, um, the one that popped up most. On, on my feed probably would talk about this this fast burst radio transmission so that's what you just mentioned robbie the uh, the stuff they received um do you know i'm at a loss to kind of explain that because my science knowledge kind of ends at like i didn't even do a good job of dissecting the frog do you have a little bit more about what those <laughs> fast bursts mean well i'm no scientist either but i mean according to the bbc um, they had among the 13 fast uh, radio bursts, they had an unusual repeating signal coming from the same source, which is about 1.5 billion light years away, which is obviously a very, 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 very long way away. Um, and some people have speculated as a result of that, that if it is, in fact, extraterrestrials, then the civilization that, um, and, you know, that transmitted those, um, those signals would be long gone, uh, presumably. Um, but uh, you know, yeah, the, the, the scientists involved seem quite excited about it, albeit they are not, um, you know, they're, they're very far away from drawing conclusions at this point. But they do expect that they will be able to get more data on these because they, they are repeating and they expect that they will repeat again. And so the next time they can um, try to identify the source. So conceivably within the next few weeks, maybe longer, um, they may have more information on this. So it's one to watch, I think. You know, it, it is. And one thing that I thought was pretty interesting is that the the same guy that they're quoting who said, well, we shouldn't discount the fact that it might be aliens is Dr. Uh, Avi Loeb yes. from Harvard. And he he's also the guy who was talking about the, oh, I'm going to butcher this. I I really, I need like a Hawaiian translator in my, well, um, Ooh. I was hoping you you knew how to pronounce it, Mike. Uh, uh, nice. no, uh, Ua Mua. Oh, God. Moana. <laughs> I, that's just, Moana. Right. Uh, it's just hard. And, um, but yes, the Ua Mua. Um, I'm going to keep butchering that the rest of the show, but that's okay. Uh, so apologies to anybody who actually knows how to speak Hawaiian. It's a beautiful language. I wish I didn't butcher it. He's the same guy who was, who was kind of putting out there that they, that might be uh, an alien intelligence, that the rendezvous with Rama out in space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's a fascinating story as well, you know, because, of course, the original story about the, uh, let's call it Hawaiian meteorite slash extraterrestrial uh, spacecraft uh, Perfect. <laughs> carrier. Um, uh that came out a while back, but uh, only today or yesterday, you've had uh, 
sort of a follow-up on that, uh, a couple of days ago rather, I had a follow-up on that, um, and uh, you know, in an article titled "If True, This Could Be One of the Greatest Discoveries in Human History," and uh, as you say, Abby Loeb, um, chairman of Harvard's University of Department of uh, Astronomy Department, has been quite outspoken in suggesting that um, this object um, that passed by Earth, uh, he, he's he's pretty convinced that it that it that it's not natural and that um, that it, it, it in it may very well have been an extraterrestrial uh, object. And, I mean, the thing is, he gives it the imprimatur of Harvard mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a that's a big one. But he, to me, you know, um, he almost seems like Harvard's Giorgio. And yeah. <laughs> whenever this stuff comes up, he's like, okay, I'm not saying it's aliens. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah. and he can say that because he's like, well, I I am the guy running the Harvard Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, right. and you are the guy that you know believes in Roswell. Yeah. So I'm it's okay that I say that. And th- the thing is, when he comes out and say, it, it gives that kind of like, so all of a sudden, uh, you have respectable publications that are going to run these possibilities of extraterrestrial life where in the past it would just be the, you know, the, the daily star, the national Enquirer that would run it. Yeah. But we're seeing, yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing, I mean, I, I very clearly noticed over the past 12 months um, or more, uh, especially since the Pentagon story broke um, in, in late 2017, I've noticed a, a trend along the lines of, you know, well, I mean, as you say, traditionally UFO stuff is covered by tabloids and they have a bit of fun with it. Um, it's rare. And, you know, and, and then even when the, the, the serious papers do get hold of it, the serious broadcasters do get hold of it, again, it's treated um, with a sort of a pinch of salt. And uh, that seems to be changing. I, I, I think that is actually really starting to change. Um, and so I think increasingly people are much more accepting of the idea that we're not alone in the universe and that indeed discovery of life in one form or another, whether it be microbial in, you know, um, on Mars or, or in a meteorite that we discover, um, or whether it comes in the form of a, of a, of an intelligent signal from, from elsewhere. Um, I think people are starting to accept that this might be a, a realistic possibility within their lifetime. Um, and, and potentially even within the next few years. And so, so I think when you when you look at that, when you look at um, mainstream news coverage, just of um, uh, just of of, uh, of astronomy, astrophysics, astrobiology, and the possibility of, of life in the universe, and you combine that with the media's increasingly serious treatment of the UFO subject, um, I think we're in for an interesting few years. And I have to say, I got to hand it to Loeb and people like him who you know speak out, because he even admitted that. The idea of this object being like an extraterrestrial creation as opposed to just a natural <laughs> interstellar projectile. <laughs> um, he said that he got the idea from yes. conversations with his colleagues, but none of them wanted to talk about it. So he said, I'm the head of the astronomy department and founding director of the Black Hole Initiative. In addition, I'm director of the board on physics and astronomy of the National Academies. So it could be that I'm committing image suicide if this turns out to be incorrect. On the other hand, if it turns out to be correct, it's one of the greatest discoveries in human history. So that was a quote from him. And uh, I yeah. respect greatly his uh, taking the initiative there and stepping forward and sharing yeah. it with us. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty dramatic stuff. I have to say. Yeah. Well, I'm just picturing him with all these like 
old professor buddies, whatever. And they're all just like sitting around, like passing around the bong, like looking at the, you know, they're looking at the the charts, whatever they get from Arecibo. He's like, oh man, those radio bursts are so fast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What's that about? And like, what do you think, Avi? Right. And then they're, they're like, dude, it's aliens. (laughs) But I'm not saying anything about that, man. <laughs> yeah, screw that, man. You do it, Spooky Mulder. It, it really is. It's, it's cool that it's being covered in all of these publications. Now, obviously, I'm reading in The Guardian and the New York Times bombshell came out. And, you know, we had to do this whole episode about that, including a song that made fun of Blink-182. But I think that uh, there's a couple of things that have to do with the fact that um, – Alien stories in mainstream publication, or just even the possibility, are not dismissed out of hand. And I think we can thank the internet for that, because these stories probably get more clicks than all the serious (laughs) political stories they do all week. Well, they do. I was following that. I was was paying close attention to... how often they're being shared, the frequency of shares on, on, say, BBC, CNN coverage of these UFO stories, and the shares of those UFO and alien uh, stories just, you know, far exceeded those of, of pretty much any other story on the page. And, right, and it's it's just going to be because everybody's like, oh, man, aliens, I want to read about that. Like the, the, the 50th story this week about Theresa May and Brexit, they might be like, oh, man. Or here, it's going to be like... Yeah. Uh, you wake up and it's like, okay, what did the president do today? And well, that's still an, it's still usually an alien story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right? It still is. I mean, um, it's and the thing is, you become almost immune to the outrage pornography that a lot of our journalism becomes. So it's like, hey, aliens. Well, at least this is yeah. something nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not, they, always, they always have that particular quote from Stephen Hawking when uh, Dr. Hawking oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. had that whole thing about, you know, do we really want aliens to come visit us? You know, think about what, it, what has happened in history whenever two civilizations uh, encounter each other and one civilization is technologically superior to the other. Uh-oh. Um, the the Right, yeah, that's basically it's Independence Day without like without the video game logic where you just blow them up right up the middle. You know, it's the it's the Death Star without those two ports or whatever that loop one shot. Like these, you'd assume you'd assume these engineers, like they can engineer something to travel across the galaxy, but they're like, you know what? We're going to include a fatal flaw where if somebody taps this, the whole place goes kablooey. Well, the other great thing about the internet and UFO research and just kind of bringing it to the forefront and allowing it to be in the consciousness is that, um, you know, if something's reported on the news, it's usually kind of tongue in cheek and laughed off as the the final story to end on a lighter note. And then it just kind of goes away. But on the internet, yeah. it can live. It's It remains out there. People can go and search it out and find it and continue to discuss it in this in this uh, community of online individuals. Uh around the globe be being becoming a community that's right there's no jerk off local anchor person snickering at the idea of oh an old man johnson saw a ufo again last week (laughs) witnesses spot him witness spot him at the tavern till 2 a.m the night previous and so it's nice to have a little bit more more serious discussion of that it seems unlikely in the extreme that they would opt for the scorched earth uh, approach that we saw in the likes of war of the worlds or independence day or anything like that because if, if there is alien invasion of Earth and they do decide to obliterate everything, then, um, you know, we'll have to 
launch a ground invasion or airstrikes in response, have to use nukes, and then everything gets destroyed, and then all of their natural, all of our natural resources, and thus the reason that they're here is pointless, you know, because we'll have destroyed everything. So I, I don't think that they would ever be so like if, if aliens did invade, I don't think they'd ever be so um, uh, open about it as to, to launch like you know a ridiculous ground invasion or, or bomb us or anything like that. It seems so primitive. Um, I think you know even if the goal, if the aliens' goal, was to eradicate humanity, then you know direct engagement with their military forces is going to be unnecessary. You know because I think many real-life UFO reports describe objects penetrating restricted airspace around some of the world's most sensitive military installations. You know they appear and disappear in the blink of an eye. They can come and go with impunity, and they don't seem to be concerned about our ability to interfere with their activities at all. So I say that these objects, you know, if they can pierce our atmosphere and our oceans with equal ease, then I think that. Um, you know, I mean, even if you go back to, to uh, I mean, presumably they'd be they'd be immune to our artillery and weapons as well, force field, all that kind of stuff. I mean, if we can imagine it, then a civilization millions or even billions of years ahead of us would surely be able to achieve it, and uh, as would we, given enough time. So uh, I think that you know, if if we if we were ever to be invaded by aliens, we wouldn't really know much about it. Uh, I, I think that you know, again, people frequently report UFO occupants and people as, as having psychic abilities, telepathic abilities and um so surely i mean if you're a psychically advanced species you could just disable all of humanity through a, a psychic attack uh, on a mass scale and then you know you and or, or you could sort of you know in terms of directed energy weapons for example like the department of defense currently has and has had for many years you can target uh, electronically uh, parts of the human body through emps and, and directed energy weapons you could you know target someone's heart, lungs, whatever, brain, cause them to have a seizure, and you could presumably do that if you were advanced enough on a mass scale and cause the whole of humanity to just fall down dead in the, you know, in the blink of an eye without disrupting any of the, uh, you know, the infrastructure or resources um, technologically or environmentally and just kill humanity and, and, and then the world is yours. Well, I think that's exactly right. You know, I always think about um, the Twilight's episode, "The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street," because in yeah. that particular in that particular episode, uh, all they do is turn off the power, yeah, <laughs> and everybody turns on each other. And then at the end, a spoiler alert for a sixty year old, you know, sixty one year old episode or whatever when it came out, um, the aliens turn and look at each other and they say, "The world is full of Maple Streets," <laughs> you know, at right, and so they figure out a way. To disable us in a, a, like right, they wouldn't just come through with a blaster or whatever, destroy what they're what they came for. Um, I also thought, you know, uh, the Torchwood series Children of Earth mm. uh, did a did, did a great job of showing like the horror of an alien species that came down and could psychically because they could psychically control all the children on the planet at the same time, turned around and looked at the adults and spoke in like the same voice. And everybody, including me, watching the episode, crapped their pants. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it just goes to see that this idea of conventional warfare, which, I mean, we hardly deal in conventional warfare no, no. anymore. You know, that you th- what do you think aliens are going to be doing? Exactly. It's, well, for Hollywood's purposes, that's not good because, you know, Hollywood's all about spectacle, especially science fiction action movies. You need big explosions. You need dogfights with alien spacecraft. You know, it's it's so absurd. Um, I think that if, as I say, if, if there were any super advanced alien civilizations out there who did mean us harm, we would. I mean, it would be over in the blink of an eye. And again, that's something that Michio Kaku has has said as well. You know, he said it like it would be like uh, Bambi meeting Godzilla if ever we had to uh, to fight. You know, advanced aliens. He said we would present no military threat to an advanced civilization at all. 
be a pushover. He says, forget all the Hollywood movies, you know, and it's something that Jill Tarter, um, the um, former head of SETI, also um, agrees with, you know, if you think that it's extremely unlikely that any aliens visiting us would have hostile intent anyway. And that follows the idea, just a theory, I guess, that, um, that any sufficiently advanced civilization will have reached and presumably overcome that tipping point in its civilizational history where you have to, you know, either destroy yourself or or choose a different path and become more enlightened and civilized. And um, any anyone who's sort of got past that point, we haven't reached it ourselves yet as a civilization, but well, I hope we don't live to see it. Um, uh, where we either ob- obliterate ourselves or we manage to survive and we and we go in a different direction and we find a better way. And if there are any civilizations out there which are millions or billions, because there could very well be civilizations billions of years more advanced than we are given the age of the universe, then I think, you know, it seems unlikely that they would be interested in, you know, going around blowing other people up. Well, I, I I completely agree with that, and I, at least I hope I hope we meet the Federation instead of the Klingons. Yeah, is uh, that that that's yeah, what I, really. that's what I'm hoping for. Um, one last UFO ish story that I kind of wanted to talk about this week, just for just for a couple minutes. Um, it, it's an older story, um, but it has to deal with the conspiracy theorist um, Max Spires, and I think I'm saying it correctly. Yeah, yeah. Spires, it could be Spears, yeah. like his sister Brittany. No, but uh, he was uh, an English or a, a British conspiracy theorist and uh, 39 years old. In 2016, he goes to Poland to speak at a conference on secret government societies and all kinds of things where I'd be like, oh, yeah, I want to go to that uh, conference. And he goes to Poland and, uh, well, he meets a Polish woman, falls in love with a Polish woman, as as everyone should do at some point in their life, every man. Uh, so <laughs> what? he falls Falls in love with a Polish woman. Um, okay, she lets him stay. She lets him stay with her at the conference uh, after the conference, and he lives in Warsaw for a while. Yeah, and then living in Warsaw, and then all of a sudden we get to um, a few months later. Uh, he sends his mother a text message that says, "If anything happens to me, I want you to investigate it. There's people after me," kind of thing, and then he dies. Like the, the oh man, uh, talk about things you never want to hear from someone, right? <laughs> the uh, the and the, the original the original story said that he like choked up black bile and then died, and so now it's been two and a half years since his death. Uh, there's this whole thing like so the, the British uh, authorities started looking into it because it's their citizen who died in Poland, and they they leave the body at the house at the woman's house instead of like taking him to the the polish morgue i i don't want to make a polish joke here i am polish so i'm gonna make it though it's like you know uh you just feel like the polish authorities are like oh we forgot the body uh we'll oh get it to- we'll get it tomorrow um that just, it just seems like oh yeah. god guys what are you doing and so the BBC said they cocked it up and so they didn't get a good like they don't perform an autopsy on them or anything like that. And this gets out into the world. And this was in, I'd say, two and a half years ago. This is in a whole bunch of different websites that I read yeah. that, you know, they tried to silence this guy. And I don't know, Robbie, as um, I mean, he was from Kent. Mm-hmm. And so, and I don't know if to, for, for your not necessarily like regional news, was it a bigger deal over there? Um. Maybe, uh, you know, when he died at the time, so Max Spears was uh, sort of a figure, reasonably well-known and emerging figure within the conspiracy communities um, online. And um, he was making sort of appearances at various conferences and lectures in the UK. Um, And he appeared in a couple of 
mainstream documentaries about UFOs and conspiracies as well that the BBC and Channel 4, these terrestrial TV stations here in the UK, had produced. So he wasn't on Ancient Aliens or anything. You don't have to watch out, do you? <laughs> and uh, he, was, so he <laughs> okay. was starting to, to become you know, reasonably well-known. And um, he, was, he was a controversial figure um, even at the time. And then, of course, when he died, yeah, the, the conspiracy community went into overdrive um, with speculation. And, um, and it was a, a suspicious death. I mean, the way he died was, was odd. There were a lot of unanswered questions. And um, people were were demanding uh, demanding answers and uh so yeah it's been in this um in this sort of uh state of 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 uh you know well i i mean i, th- I think now with this with this case um well i want to backtrack actually because i mentioned there's a there was a bbc documentary um i think it was channel actually channel four no, i think it was a bbc documentary so um and it was very strange because when he died, very soon after he died, actually, the BBC decided very uncharacteristically to produce a documentary about Max Spears. Um, and it was, and so I should point out as well, my, my wife um, uh, sort of knew Max a little bit. She spoke to him a few times and um, was friends with Max's girlfriend um, at, the, at the time of his death. And um, so, so the, oh. my, my wife would... would um, communicate occasionally I think with Max and with his girlfriend and um but but it was very strange um the way he died and uh and then the BBC just very as I say very uncharacteristically and suspiciously I would say decided to produce this documentary that wasn't at all called for no one in the mainstream at all had heard of Max Spears at this point at all um he was just a figure within the UFO conspiracy community but the BBC decided to take it upon itself to sort of make a documentary explaining what happened to him. It was almost like preempting. It was almost like a preemptive documentary to sort of say, well, you may hear about this in a few months' time. Pay no attention. It's all, it's all above board kind of thing. It was very strange for the, for the BBC to make a documentary like that. And it was, a, it was, a very, it was an odd documentary. And they great, went to great lengths to try and explain certain things about it. And, and, um, but... Yeah, so I'm not, to be honest, I'm not sure what to make of the Max Spears thing at all. Um, that, you know, it ties in with the whole conspiracy relating to so-called super soldiers. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, now the obviously the official um, explanation has come out for his death and um, and any kind of conspiracy or foul play has been ruled out. Um, but, uh, it's, I mean, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a tragic, um, a tragic uh, case and with it, he was only 39 years old and um, but I think he was a troubled individual. Uh, he was a troubled individual, and um, uh, but I, I I wouldn't really like to speculate about what precisely was going on with Max Spears. I, do I? I mean, as far as the, the idea of super soldiers and things, I think it's an interesting idea. I mean, it's it's like the whole Jason Bourne idea. You know, that, that the CIA, various intelligence agencies have over the years attempted to tweak people in certain ways um right in order to you know maximize their abilities to you know uh, maximize their sort of um, intelligence gathering or combat abilities or you know their usefulness to to uh, to the national security state and you know when you look at the history of um of cia tampering with human beings um, both physically and, and mentally in terms of um say for example uh, mk ultra going back to the 1950s uh, project Stargate and, and other uh, projects as well, you know, 
clearly uh, it's in the interests of any um, uh, national security state in any country to try to uh, understand the limits of human you know the, the limits of human potential really and uh, and, and to try to weaponize the, you know uh, weaponize human beings I guess if possible so it wouldn't surprise me at all um, if if such programs do exist today we're not the, the self-proclaimed super soldiers such as Max Spears and others uh, have been involved in such programs. There's, there's, there's very little information to support those, those claims. They could just be fantasists or delusional, but, um, but maybe there is some truth to, to some of their claims. Well, one of the reasons that I, I kind of was interested in this is um, number one, uh, the, the QAnon conspiracy theory in the, in the U.S. is I was I was saying it well. It's just people on 4chan. So if you guys aren't familiar with with Q, it's this whole idea that there's some White House insider that's communicating through 4chan, which is an internet uh, forum, usually saved for like vile memes. Um, <laughs> to put it politely. But, so, yeah, right. So, and and he's coming out. He's inside the the Trump White House, and he's insider, and he's giving the world the real information that Donald Trump his mission is to take down the deep state inside uh, the FBI, CIA, all of the Department of Defense, the government agencies, the the people who are just appointed, um, who aren't elected, who are there for life kind of thing and that you know he's playing four-dimensional chess against the 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 evil you know like pedophile conspiracy of the deep state and i always thought like well people just have need something to read on the internet and it might yeah. be interesting <laughs> but then i see people that i know locally uh who i respect people with good jobs i mean that cranks not anything like who are like yeah well you should have said what q you know said last night you know what our president's doing for us kind of thing and i'm like what like you know it's one thing to be like well i support the policies or things like that it's another thing to, to believe this internet commenter who's talking about um this you know secret program and he's helping Donald Trump fight the the people inside the CIA, the deep, the deep state, and to take it seriously. And I'm like, okay, people are taking it seriously. And that let me, you know, when I read this about Max Spears this week and how it came out, it was an overdose. He had too much uh, Xanax because they went on a holiday in Turkey and they, you don't need a prescription. So he took some. And they bought a lot and they went back home and um, needed some for anxiety and stuff like that. It sounds like just a just a tragedy of that kind of thing. I don't know that we're going to get people to believe that it probably wasn't uh, a, a conspiracy because it just seems like the perfect storm of a guy going out to talk about conspiracies, says he wants the government to shut him up and then dies under mysterious circumstances. You know, one thing, um, Robbie, it's interesting that your wife had, had spoken to his girlfriend because she's like quoted in one of the like latest articles, you know, that just ran out saying that he claimed he was taken prisoner and that people were doing dark black magic and satanic rituals to deprogram him and stuff like that. Had, um, is, was she really into conspiracy stuff too? Or did she sound like she was just worried about the mental health of her boyfriend? Um, I believe she was, yeah, quite heavily into, into conspiracy stuff as well. Yeah. And so when you just read that and, and you read this stuff and when tragedies like this happen, um, and you're thinking, well, of course, it's a really sad thing and, and stuff like that. But um, drug overdoses are drug overdoses that can happen to anybody. You know, addiction and um, substance abuse can get the best of 
every everyone, no matter what your station, what your manner of life is, and things like that. It's you think like, okay, um, you just worry that this is going to feed the. You know, it, it, it just feeds the conspiracy theories even more because now people are looking to it as proof as in just because you're paranoid doesn't doesn't mean they're not out yeah, to get you yeah. kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So reading about that this week and then seeing like these new posts from QAnon and seeing people I know talking about it. I mean, I love a good conspiracy theory. I mean, I am bonkers for it. I think it's great. Uh, and when we're talking about UFOs and disclosure and the whole deal that the people in power are keeping something from us that we can't know about. And then if you are a whistleblower, you're going to get, you know, they're going to fake a heroin overdose for you, or they're going to fake a, uh, you know, you could fake an opiate overdose for somebody in the United States and you totally believe it. Well, yeah. Right? Like who would have thought Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's going to be like, yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman, that guy is addicted to smack. Yeah. It just happens, mm -hmm. you know? So you believe it happens to anybody. So you see this and it's just exceptionally sad. It, it, I almost think there's a, uh, like, while I love a good conspiracy theory, I almost feel bad at the same time because I feel like it might take away from our discussion yeah. of what the real problem is, is that people who have issues with addiction and stuff uh, don't have anywhere to go without yeah. feeling, feeling That's ashamed. Right. That's right. At the same time... <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, no government anywhere in the modern era is like. I mean, the, you know, you have to ask yourself the question: Do governments assassinate people? If you if the, if you think the answer is no, then obviously <laughs> you don't know about. You know, you're pretty clueless. So governments do assassinate individuals and have done for for death for death. Right. We kill people with robots right. but, now. But assassinations of individuals like if you're to, you want if you want a problem person out of the way it's not like you don't walk up to them with a silencer and shoot them in the head in a parking lot you know it doesn't it doesn't work like that because that's that's <laughs> asking for someone to be you know it's asking for a criminal investigation that ends with someone behind bars and there's a paper trail and there's there's forensics and there's you know there's someone who's actually pulled the trigger etc that's not how assassinations that's not how state assassinations are carried out any kind of state assassination is going to be made to look like an accident. And it will be very, very convincing. It will be made to look like an overdose. It will be made to look like a heart attack. It will be made to look like a hit and run. It will be made to, you know? And that's how it happens. You can't, You don't assassinate anyone by shooting them or stabbing them, you know, or, or, or blowing them up. It's, it's just, it's, it's too clumsy. So it always has to be an accident. Unless you're in a movie. Unless you're in a movie, right? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I think I told you guys, maybe I didn't... Um, when I back when I was obsessed with this case, um, the case of Gary Devore, the guy who, uh, the Hollywood screenwriter who vanished in 1997, um, with that, oh yeah, you know, and um, he his body was discovered uh, a year later in very suspicious circumstances, and uh, everything about it, his disappearance and discovery uh, a year later were all extremely suspicious, and um, uh, I won't go into a whole that's a whole radio show, but. But basically, myself and my research partner at the time, Matthew Alford, um, who's an expert on Hollywood propaganda, we, we just completely went down the rabbit hole on this case, and we were obsessed with it. We were completely obsessed with it, and no one else, really no one else in the world was looking into it because it was kind of like a dead case, and it was kind of like an obscure thing anyway. But we were, as part of our research into CIA and Hollywood, we found this case to be fascinating, and we decided to sort of reopen the investigation on our own terms, and um, we spent several years absolutely obsessed with this case and um um we i ended up and we were we got super paranoid in the end we thought we were convinced that our phones were being tapped and i think they were 
and um, we we wrote an article um, for the Guardian because you know we weren't just a couple of little like conspiracy nuts. <laughs> <laughs> we but we were we were we were draw we were uh, getting quite a lot of attention because we wrote a, a feature article for the Guardian newspaper in the UK and which went wide. And it was the it was the um it was a, it was like the lead feature article in the feature section of the Guardian and it was looking at CIA in Hollywood and it talked about and we talked about the death of Gary Gabor and this is the first time it- I'm looking at it right now we're going to put that in the show notes so you guys may want to see otherside.podcast.com/231 we're going to have a link to Robbie's article about Gary Devore and the Guardian it's, you can read the whole thing online um, yeah so so that was um, yeah we got completely obsessed with it and and we were getting quite a lot of attention and we uh, had, like a, a Spanish TV company read read the article in the Guardian and decided to make a documentary about it for which, in which we were interviewed we were interviewed on BBC radio and um, we were writing cover articles for various magazines and all sorts of stuff. So we were starting to bring attention to this case, which had been forgotten for you know almost twenty years or whatever at that point. And um, and as a result, um, a certain CIA ex CIA operative um, who used to brief President Clinton, who was very up in the CIA, he wrote a book in twenty twelve. Ah, and, uh, yes. <laughs> reading through it and, did, and um, there's a passage in there um, where he refers to a nosy British journalist um, who is... Was that J- John Podesta you're t- no, referring to? No, 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 it's, um, a CIA guy. Um, his name's Chase, it's Chase Brandon. And, um, ah, okay, got it. Okay, now now you put us all on the list because obviously <laughs> they're going to pick Whoops. this up. Like they said Chase Brandon's name. Oh my God, Gary DeVore wrote Time Cop. This is a national tragedy. Yeah, he did. He wrote, he, yeah, he, he's, he was a script doctor as well. He wrote a few. He wrote a few. Uh, actually, guess he got, so Gary DeVore was, oh God, we've gone way off track here, but <laughs> Gary DeVore <laughs> was, was uh, at the time of his death, um, was writing a really incendiary screenplay, which he promised would like bring down, you know, the establishment and all of these people in Hollywood and everything, because he was writing this Hollywood uh, extremely um, uh, controversial screenplay, which was detailing real events in like the invasion of the U.S. invasion of Panama, and he was talking about like how the U.S. government used secret laser weapons on civilians in Panama, talking about drug money, CIA drug deals, all sorts of stuff, and, and he was. Um, writing this this screenplay anyway and uh, at the time of his disappearance he was actually traveling to his friend Marsha Mason the actress who was traveling to her house to finish the screenplay and he never returned and uh, they found his car they found his body and car um, a year later um, and the laptop containing his screenplay was missing was was gone his, his wallet was still in his car um, his, his laptop was missing and you know all that kind of stuff and his hands were missing his, his hands were missing oh my, my god um, so that's so that's why my friend Matthew Wolf ultimately wrote a book and made a documentary called The Writer with No Hands, um, which was about Gary DeVore. And um, anyway, so, so back in 2012, Chase Brandon, um, who was Gary's friend, good friend, um, or associate, and uh, or friend, Gary's best man at his wedding, um, Chase wrote a book um, called The Cryptos Conundrum, which is actually about Roswell, of all things, and UFOs. And... Um, in that book, he, he makes reference to um, a nosy British journalist who was getting too close to the truth regarding regarding the activities of this CIA agent, <laughs> and uh, and so he did. So he decides to take this uh, to his superior, and the superior decides that it's, it's time for this nosy British journalist to um, have a heart attack, and um, and then uh, so, oh so, sorry they decide to ruin his reputation, and then no one notices it about a month later when he has a heart attack and dies, and the name of the nosy British journalist. 
with Robert Graham. Whoa. Oh, man. <laughs> you were targeted by the CIA. You are, you're a dangerous <laughs> man, Robbie. Do you use that when you go, like, before you were married or whatever, you're like, I'm wanted by the CIA girls. <laughs> man, I would say that, dude, I would have that, I would have a card that says that. I'd be like, yeah, I write UFO books and I'm a researcher. Obviously, I've done a lot of time in college, but you know what? I'm wanted by the CIA. <laughs> da- danger, danger is my middle name. <laughs> I just, it's just brilliant. Well, um, it was, it was pretty terrifying at the time, I've got to tell you. And, <laughs> but... and um, I, I, I did it, well, it did its job. I backed away from the case, I tell you. And um, I, I was, I was, anyway, I'd already, back, the, the, what's so annoying about it was I'd already backed away from the case probably like a year before that because I was so sick to the back teeth a bit. And I was so, um, I was so like paranoid by that point that I just wanted to go and start doing normal stuff again. And so I really left it alone. But then I went to, a year later to read this thing in his book. I thought, like, oh God, why, why, why me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's, that's an awesome story, Robbie. Hey, uh, speaking of Hollywood stuff, uh, Scott, your story for the week uh, is, is, is Hollywood connected, isn't it? Yeah, yes, it is. Uh, taking place in the Crenshaw neighborhood of Los Angeles. We are coming up on the anniversary of the very famous and tragic and still mysterious slang of the Black Dahlia, Elizabeth Short. And this is a, a story that understandably has just captured the imagination of so many people because it is so high profile. It was so grisly. Um, to, to bring people back up to spade. I, I'm sure you guys do know what we're talking about, but the body of uh, Elizabeth Short, uh, this was 1947 in a an undeveloped area of Los Angeles at that time. Now it's a neighborhood. And I so 1947, the same year as Roswell. Oh, we know we who go. did this yeah. crime. <laughs> uh-huh. So maybe they're connected. Oh, <laughs> But uh, yes, uh, Elizabeth Short uh, was a, an actress who had come down from the Bay Area, and her body, uh, she went missing for a couple of days, and her body was found cut in half, and also uh, further mutilated, um, just off the side of the road, uh, her, her, her nude body was found. And nobody, you know, it was a huge, huge high-profile thing. Basically, everybody who had ever talked to her that the police could prove had talked to her was considered a person of interest. They went so far to try to figure out who did this killing, uh, but nobody was ever brought to justice. Um, really, they didn't even have too many prime suspects. There was only ever two people that they deeply investigated, and both of them, they were released. So let's jump ahead many years. So I, I, the early 2000s, a retired L.A. detective starts to look into his own father's, um, his dad passed away and he wanted to kind of learn more about his life and found out, oh my gosh, my dad was one of the people that were questioned in connection with the Black Dahlia killing. And uh, he went on a very biased research project. I can't imagine what their uh, family dynamic must have been like, what the family reunions were like, because this guy seemed hell bent on proving that his own dad was the Black Dahlia killer. Whoa. And uh, yeah, I thought I get my I get mad at my father sometimes, but not like I'm gonna I'm gonna put you in prison, bad. <laughs> oh my gosh! So uh, this is Steve Hodell, who's alive today. Uh, he wrote the book The Black Dahlia Avenger, and then another book called Most Evil. Both are all about his dad and and trying to prove <laughs> that his dad was the killer. Oh and this, you know, when I first stumbled across it, I thought, oh, this is so fascinating. I mean, it's a great story, and I think we all love. Uh, conclusions in our great mystery stories. 
So I, I get why myself and the rest of the mass media wanted to like, oh, cool, we finally solved this long, dead, famous case. Um, but really, if you look at it, it just doesn't line up. His, his evidence is so circumstantial. There were, uh, you know, the thing that sent him off on this is he was looking through his dad's personal artifacts and found two photos that he said, oh, here's pictures of my dad with Elizabeth Short. So they at least knew each other. We can prove that. And so he published this and one one person came out and said, well, that one photo is of me. So that's not Elizabeth Short. <laughs> oh, no. And Oops. <laughs> Elizabeth Short's surviving family said, no, neither of those photos are of her. So right there that should be the end of it because that was <laughs> yeah what was really spurning him on and ultimately there's nothing behind <laughs> his dad being the killer of the black dahlia however he has gone on to say that not only is he the killer of the black dahlia that he came to chicago and he was also the perpetrator of the lipstick murders he went up to the bear area oh, and he's wow. also the zodiac killer um he really doesn't like what? his dad oh huh? my gosh yeah <laughs> <laughs> So really, there's nothing behind it except the possibility that, hey, this was, you know, until we look into it, it's a good story, but it continues to get press. It t- continues oh, to get yeah. coverage. And uh, I think it's TNT is coming out with a, a limited series that's uh, coming out fairly soon uh, this month. And they're doing a big event at the El Rey Theater in Los Angeles on the anniversary of the death um, called I Am the Night. And yes, it is on TNT. Um, it will be on TNT starring Chris Pine. So they got some, uh, star power behind it. All right. But this yeah. Whole thing is based on Steve Hodell's assertions that his dad was the killer. And this guy is very money motivated. I have to say at this point, he's gotten so much ink off of this. He's put out multiple books and I don't know. It, it's just, it, it infuriates me because people aren't really continuing to look into this story there. So many people are just taking it at face value. Even James uh, Elroy, who wrote L.A. Confidential, yeah. he's a great true crime writer, he read The Black Dahlia Avenger and came out and said, yeah, this is great. This is the case closed. It's solved. Wow. And, and, and then he kind of looked into it more and retracted his statement. But so many people do that first knee-jerk reaction to say, oh, hey, here's the we can put a bow on this one. It's over now. And the fact that this is going to come out in this high-profile miniseries kind of pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, you know, they already made, they did make a Black Dahlia movie with, um, oh, who's the guy that was in Predators? I know he got the pianist uh, guy. Oh, Adrian Brody? <laughs> yes, Adrian Brody. Yeah, I think they made a movie uh, about it before the book came out, maybe? And that was, that was also written by James Elroy, the uh, writer of LA Confidential. Uh, you know what? And I'm completely off to it. It wasn't Adrian Brody. It was Josh Hartnett. Yes. Uh, ooh, so that's a. I, how, I don't know how I mix those guys up. One uh, is an Oscar-winning actor. The other is the guy from Friends with Benefits. <laughs> so, or not? No, not even Friends with Benefits. The one where the guy doesn't play with himself for 40, 40 days and forty nights. Okay, sorry. Um, wow. You got you. Well, I was just thinking about the movies that are close to our heart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, that's interesting. I mean, first of all, that he's profiting on the fact that his father who was a physician and you assumed help people yeah. uh mm-hmm. al- also might have chopped a woman in half and is the yeah. scorpio killer that's one of those things too that he he just makes these 
really, uh, it's so funny because he's a retired LAPD detective. And you kind of wonder, like, I-, I hope he held his professional work to a higher standard. But so many people believe it had to have been a doctor that killed Elizabeth Short because of how uh, expertly the body was cut in half. Uh, <sighs> that they knew the weak points that between this vertebrae and this vertebrae is kind of a, an easier place to place your incision. And, um, and, and he kind of uses his dad being a doctor as evidence, but he was not a surgeon. So he was a family practitioner. It didn't mean wow. he, he was not licensed as a surgeon anywhere. So it doesn't mean he had the knowledge to be able to do this, but it's just these leaps of logic that this guy takes over and over again. Yeah, that is interesting. Well, it's the same kind of thing with Jack the Ripper. Like, um, I mean, not to spoil from hell, but it from hell is like, 25 years old now um the graphic novel but that's the same idea that that the surgeon is jack the ripper yeah and like the royal physician is jack the ripper and um you know that that kind of idea that only a surgeon would know how to go in there and cut him up when that might be true but i feel like when you're going in there and you're just looking at i mean i'm not a forensic detective but you are a killer (laughs) but i have i uh, um I have murdered uh, some veggie burgers in my <laughs> life. <laughs> I'll end on this one thought. Uh, and this is what I, why, because, you know, bringing this up, this is not paranormal. It is pop culture, but it's not a paranormal story. But to me, it is because I've been to a lot of the locations and I've uh, done paranormal investigations at the site where they found Elizabeth Short's body. Uh, there's this uh, great bar in Hollywood called Bordner's where people have seen uh, Elizabeth Schwartz's ghost and the Biltmore Hotel, uh, which doubled as a five-star hotel in New York for the movie Ghostbusters, where Slimer is first seen. Um, that's the last oh, place. Oh, nice. Uh, that's the last place that Elizabeth Short was ever seen. Uh, she was seen. Slimer is the green Dahlia. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, she was seen uh, near the phone banks, uh, phone banks uh, making these kind of frantic phone calls. And so like, oh, gosh, how interesting would it be if we could do an EVP session and pick up some of the conversations that she was having before, you know, she went missing. So I I think it's fascinating to bring paranormal methodology into unsolved crimes uh, and just to see, is there some residual energy there that we could maybe help steer us in the right direction? And it's probably just as good of a uh, research technique as this Gary Hodel guy did in blaming his dad for all the murders in California from 1947 to 1978. All right. Good story, man. We're coming on to the end of the hour. Now, first of all, we want to make sure that we thank... Mr. Robbie Graham for uh, sharing his Sunday with us and giving us his perspective on the latest UFO news. Thanks a lot, Robbie. When people are looking for you, where are they going to find you? Uh, they're going to find me writing regularly for Mysterious Universe um, website and find more about me and my books on my website, which is robbiegraham.uk. Um, so yeah, I'm writing for Mysterious Universe and churning out a whole bunch of articles about UFOs and other weird stuff. Great, and uh, you can find uh, direct links to all of Robbie's work, plus uh, his Twitter links. You can follow him on Twitter and all that kind of stuff. And you can see in the show notes at othersidepodcast.com slash 231. And then you can click on there and see what kind of weirdness that Robbie Graham is getting up to. Uh, Robbie, thank you for sharing your time with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much again, guys. Thank you, Robbie. Thanks. For this week's song, we were thinking about the tragedy of Max Spears' death and also Robbie's own story of possibly being surveilled by an intelligence agency while investigating a cover-up. Whether or not you believe in conspiracy theories, from QAnon to secret super soldiers, 
our intelligence agencies wield a scary amount of unchecked power. While a majority of their actions might be in the service of protecting us, is the truth worth getting in their crosshairs? That's the inspiration for this week's song, The Man Who Knew Too Much. And you can listen at othersidepodcast.com slash 231. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. I'd like to sick the CIA and the people who aren't our Patreons. Ah, if only we could do that. Yeah. Uh, only well, we could send drones to everybody's house if you haven't joined the <laughs> Patreon community yet. Um, anyway, if you guys would like to be part of the See on the Other Side Patreon community, what happens in the See on the Other Side Patreon community, Wendy? Oh, all kinds of fun. But my favorite thing is the monthly hangouts that we do where we basically it's a live online party. You don't have to live in Madison, Wisconsin. You can live anywhere and you can bring your favorite snack, your favorite drink and wear your favorite paranormal attire if you have any or bring a prop. Yep. (laughs) But we sit and hang out and we talk about our favorite stories. We talk about weird things that we've seen or done (laughs) and anything related to any of the topics we typically discuss here on the show. That's exactly right. And so the see on the other side patreon community is just way number one uh to show that you enjoy the content the songs little videos uh weekly podcasts we're in episode number 231 today your patreon member you can access 231 hours uh, of content uh even more because some episodes run long uh interviews with uh, your favorite all paranormal authors discussions about great movies and the real life supernatural stories behind them and conversations with some of the most fascinating paranormal investigators that you're going to find you can do that at othersidepodcast.com slash donate and it's the time we give a special shout out to one of our favorite patreon members Dr. Ned. Dr. Ned we saw you on Friday night and it was so good to see Dr. Ned actually came to the show after he saved someone's life with CPR what yeah I didn't know that. That's amazing. He saw an accident. And he had to perform CPR on someone. Seriously? Yeah, un- until the until the police got there. Just when you thought that Dr. Ned couldn't be more of a hero. <laughs> he, he goes and saves some... lives right before the Sunspot show. Right. That's incredible. Not only is a Dr. Ned See Another Side podcast hero, he's also a hero that actually helps and saves people lives. <laughs> so thank you, uh, your support. Uh, we absolutely wow. appreciate it. It keeps us in business, Dr. Ned, and we appreciate what you do. And all of our Patreons, we appreciate the show ideas. We appreciate the shout outs. We appreciate the discussion in the uh, Patreon group, all that stuff. We're yes, really glad you. you guys are a part of it. You make our week every week. Wendy, if the new listeners or even the old listeners who decided they want to finally pony up and give something to us for all after we've given them <laughs> where, where do they go and do that they can do that at othersidepodcast.com slash donate and we hope that you guys will check it out everybody else well we'll see you on the other side yeah <laughs> <laughs>